Amen. All right, thank you. Let's go to Philippians, the book of Philippians, and we're going to um, continue our study in the book of Philippians. We, um, I'm going to tonight just kind of look at a, uh, an overview again. Um, when, we, uh, when I took classes in Bible college, we would call it um, sur- a survey, so Old Testament survey. We wouldn't necessarily look at the, every verse and every chapter. We would study kind of overall what, what each book was, who wrote it, and what the emphasis behind it, and key verses in it, just to get good understanding, and then uh, kind of go through that way. New Testament survey, same thing, just not every verse by verse. Um, last last Wednesday night, we started in this book, and we did more of a, a survey, kind of what the background of it was, and, and who, who wrote it, and kind of the key verses that were in it, to give us a better understanding as we do dive into it, what, um, uh, who's writing it, and what's the meaning behind some of this. Now, we know the Holy Spirit of God inspired each uh, one that wrote Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So I understand the Holy Spirit inspired all this, but Paul, uh, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote the book of Philippians, and he wrote it to the church at Philippi. We, um, and so going through that survey, today I want to kind of do the same thing, just continue to add to that. And then once we get into the new year, we will do a, a study, a, a bigger, deeper study into each verse, each chapter, and go through like we have in other books, just go through this book and find out chapter by chapter, verse by verse, what God has for us. In, in Paul's epistle to this church at Philippi, he commends them for their, their conduct toward him. And all through this, just a short epistle, but we find where Paul is thankful. He, he commends them for how he is treated. And we looked at some of that last week. And then also, just in general, their, their generosity toward him. There were times that Paul was given things or helped by this church, people that, uh, a gentleman that was sent by this church or gifts by this church, that uh, at times no one else was there to help Paul. And so Paul is writing this, this kind letter in response to their kindness they've shown toward him. I think I mentioned this last week, but I, it's, it's interesting, and I believe it deserves to be said again as we look at the book of Philippians. Much of what Paul writes, if we were to look at other Paul's epistles, there's, there's, some, um, there, there's some rebuke and there's some... Uh, not not negative, but he's dealing with things. Um, the church at uh, uh, in the book of Galatians, he says, "You're so um, soon removed from what you once believed, what you were once taught about Scripture, and you, I'd pluck my eyes out for you." And he he um, he says in the Corinthian church, there was fornication taking place and sin. They were they were saved, but. They, they were still behaving like they were lost. And he addresses those things and he rebukes them and he challenges them. And in Thessalonica, the church there, he is, he is um, telling them about the second coming of Christ, but also they're, they're listening when he taught them while he was present of this. And then they've just kind of stayed back and waiting for Christ to come. And he says, you got to get busy and, 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 and you can't just sit back and wait. There's, there's work to do. The gospel has to go forth. And then several of the epistles that he writes to the churches, majority of them, they are written with 
some, some uh, uh, rebuke or strong language to try to get them to be what uh, they know they're supposed to be. Paul, I think if you studied enough of Paul, you would find that Paul could be very controversial in his approach. He probably didn't help hold things back. There was that time that he met uh, Peter face-to-face when he visited them in Jerusalem and, and gives us that impression that he was going to give Peter, he was going to set things straight, and he wasn't afraid to, to deal with the conflict or what he felt was wrong. And even when, when Peter stands before, in, in uh, the study that we're doing through Acts, he stands before kings and leaders. He's not afraid to, to stand for the truth. He doesn't back down. But when you see Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, he writes with such tenderness. He, he writes with this, this uh, a, a different approach as he's now writing from this Roman jail in... Paul's older now, and Paul is appreciative of all that this church has done. We, tonight, I, I want to also look at this theme, this theme of either joy or rejoicing. You could find this, that word rejoicing, often through this book. And this is important for us to see this as we start this study. Because, again, Paul is in jail. Paul is in prison, Paul has spent a lifetime serving the Lord, being stoned, being placed in prison, shipwrecked. I mean, horrible things, in, as we would see, have happened to Paul. Yet Paul is going to write to this church at Philippi and speak to them about joy and rejoicing. This church at Philippi, look with me, this verse here in uh, chapter 2, verse 15 he says this of this church, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst, what's he call this nation? A crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Now, again, I want you to think about Philippi. Paul was in Philippi. Philippi was a, a capital here of Macedonia, and all the routes and trade routes and, and people would, would converge on this capital city. And, and where there's people, there's sin. And the things that would happen in this city. It was not a city that would be one that was open to uh, the, the Christianity and, and the churches being strong. Matter of fact, again, think of this. When Paul is first there introduced, we're first introduced to Philippi, he comes across Lydia, right, and gives her the gospel. She was a seller of purple. She was probably there in Philippi because of this business. It was a, it was a trade place where people would come through because of capital there in Macedonia. The other person, I believe the second person then that we find out about is, is this young damsel that is possessed with this demon, and these men have... Uh, control over her, and they're making money because of her demon possession. Now, think about the type of city that Philippi is. Paul winds up in a Philippian jail because he frees this young damsel of this, this demon possession, and the men that were making money off of this young girl bring him before the authorities, and he is cast into jail 
you know, we would, we would call that today like human trafficking. Like to do that to a young girl, you would think that the men would be in jail for, for treating someone that way. But it's Paul that is thrown into jail and beaten and imprisoned because he freed her from this. This all takes place in Philippi. And so Philippi is not some great spiritual holy city. It is a corrupt. It it is, as Paul describes it, it, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. And this is his, their, their church and Paul's condition in their condition, yet Paul is writing to them about rejoicing in joy. Now, this is important for us to see this because all of us, maybe our circumstances aren't as grave as Paul's circumstance, and maybe we can't describe, although I think in some cases we may be very close, that our, our, uh, uh, the land we live in is, would be crooked and perverse, as bad as the Philippi, but, but uh, uh, through trials and through difficulties and through situations in life and through persecution, Paul is reminding the church to have joy. How many of you ever had a bad day? Most of you, good. How many of you have had a bad couple days before? How many of you, your days, bad days have turned into a bad week, a bad month, 2020, <laughs> a bad year? Yeah, we, we, if we're not careful, we can get our mind on our situation and not the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to, with, with that being said, I want to dive into this. Again, kind of still stay an overview, a, a survey of this, and then we'll come back in and really dive into this verse by verse, this, this, uh, this book. And I, wanna th- I want you to think about these thoughts. I'm going to give you four things, and then we're going to bring it together. Someone, someone said to me last night uh, or, or earlier this week, my wife and I were out to dinner, and they said this, um, you know, Pastor, there's a difference between you and the way you preach and my job. You preach and you kind of build up to the main point. My job, I got to go in there and I have one minute to win them over. And if I don't win them over in one minute, that's it. So I got to kind of do it the opposite from you. I got to bring in the point. And I said, well, if I did that, then three minutes we'd be done and you'd leave or fall asleep. And so I got to keep it going to bring it together. But but uh, I'm going to do that this evening. I say that to say tonight I'm going to mention, I'm gonna, we're going to look at four things and we're going to bring it all together. So I want you to stay awake and stay with me so that we don't lose this, this final point. And that is this, what produces the life in a Christian so that we can have joy or we can rejoice in difficulties and struggles? Because Paul, let me bring this to your attention again. Look with me in verse chapter, uh, uh, chapter two, verse fifteen. Why does Paul say that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation? And look what he says here: among whom ye shine as lights in the world. That's in, that is a key a key verse in the book of Philippians, because that is our responsibility to shine in a crooked and perverse world, shine as lights. 
I um, needed just some things, just some some small wins. And this this uh, I'm building B over here. We um, uh, I've said to to Paul Taylor on several occasions. You know, we need to get some lights on that building. I'm afraid to get mugged out there. You know, walking from over here to that building at night. And yesterday they came and put two new lights on the side of that building. You'll see it. I mean, it just brightened up that whole corner. And I was, I drove up last night. I just wanted to see what it looked like to have lights on in that corner. And um, uh, just the way things are going, two brand new lights, only one worked. The other one was bad. They had to come out and fix it today. But tonight I drove up and both of them are on and it brought light to a dark corner. And it was amazing how excited in my heart, I know it's small, but just give it to me this week. I need it. (laughs) I was excited to see light because light takes away shadows and light takes away darkness. It's exciting to see light. I don't like to walk into a, a dark room or a dark area. Light is good. And Paul says this, he's challenging the church at Philippi, in this dark and perverse world, in this, this, this crooked world, you've got to be light that shines. And so what is different? What is that light, that difference? And what produces that joy and that rejoicing in the life of a Christian? I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I want you to ask yourself in your heart, do you want to, do you want to know that? Do you want to be that light? Do you want to produce that joy and that rejoicing so that when someone sees you, they see Christ. Now, I'm going to give you four things here, and I want to look at these things. And Like I said, I'm going to bring it all down at the end, so stay with me, please. Because Paul commands them, number one is this, Paul commands them or commends them for providing for his wants. This would be a model church. This would be a church that that sees a great need and supplies this need. Now, Paul is not the pastor of this church. So Paul stays, and yes, uh, in this church, maybe Lydia is there, and that demon-possessed girl that now is freed from that demon is, is an active member of that church. The Philippian jailer and his family now are parts of this Philippian church, and Paul, though, is there, and, and he's made a great impact, and, and uh, the church was there started, and, and he was a major part, and they love Paul, but Paul has then moved on, and Paul has moved to Thessalonica after this, and Paul is now in Rome, and, and Paul's not there anymore, and, and it's not as easy. Sometimes we need to realize back in those times, it's not as easy to communicate. They didn't have computers and FaceTime and, and, and Zoom and, and the mail system that we have and, and the conveniences that we have, and so even communicating wasn't as easy as it would be today. And so it would be very easy, out of sight, out of mind. And you know how it is when when you don't see someone for a period of time. We are just on what we're dealing with and our problems and our life and our focus that, that it's not that we don't care. It's just we don't see them, and so we don't realize and think about their needs. Well, this church was very different. Although Paul wasn't there, wherever Paul went, there was a love and a care for him, and Paul commends them for providing for his wants. Look with me in chapter number four. In verse number 10, 
Paul says this, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Paul is saying, I rejoice. He used that word. I rejoice because of what you've done for caring for me. In the same chapter, verse number 14, Paul says, notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now, not everything is always about money. And sometimes if we're not careful, we think, well, what can I do? How much money can I throw at a need? Not everything is about money. I believe this with the church at Philippi, it wasn't just about material things that they gave Paul. In communication is just the encouragement that comes. This past week, I was um, uh, just, just dealing with a lot of things. Just a have you ever had one of those weeks where you just, you're so overwhelmed constantly that by the end of the day, all you're thinking about is what you didn't get to and your list is so long to start tomorrow, you don't sleep well and then everything gets piled on that day as well and you never get caught up. And it's easy to throw a pity party, right? When you're in in that place. And and I got a, uh, and, and part of it was this time of year, I, um, get Christmas cards. And my kids, when they get a card, they love to, they love to shake the card to see what falls out. You know, they like a note, but it's a federal reserve note, you know, is what they like to see fall out. And this is the truth. The, the, the older I get, I was the same way. We all probably were. The older I get, you know what I really long for? That note that someone puts inside. When, when somebody handwrites something, and, and, I, and I learned this, and I learned this because of what it does for me, I, I pretty much, when I write a note, I handwrite those notes. I'm, secretary can type it up. But I know what a handwritten note does to my spirit, and I love to give those handwritten notes, and Paul is addressing the communication with his affliction. And in this, this could be something monetary. It could be something material, but it also could just simply be language of love. Uh, a gift of a letter, something that just shows affection. I like to, I'm sure you're the same. I like to read letters when, when, when Michelle writes certain things her writing certain things in a card and saying, I love you, it means more than anybody else that writes, I love you in a card because of who it's coming from. And so Paul is commending them for providing for his wants, his needs during this time. Look with me in verse number 15. He says, now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. He continues to commend them. You are giving. You have, you've, you've done over and above. You've done what no one else has done. He says this, for even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. He says that in verse number 16. He, he talks about this man, Epaphroditus, but I have all and I abound. And look at Paul's statement here. I have all, I abound, I am full having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. 
So Paul is saying to them, he's commending them, you've provided, I am in need of nothing because of what you've done for me through the giving that Epaphroditus has now come in and given to me. I'm full, I'm in want of nothing. It tells of Paul his, his condition he finds himself in, the things which were sent from you, and then it's an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice, acceptable, well-pleasing to God. In providing and giving, it's biblical. Would you agree with that? It's, it is biblical. I, I sat with the, the Millers um, yesterday, and, and um, you know one of the things that we wanted to just take off that burden is the funeral service. And boy, I mean, funerals are expensive. I, I mean, expensive. When you have no to buy lots and all of those things when you're not planning. And most of the time you're not planning on that for a 21 year old. And that weight of that was on their, on their, on their mind and on their heart. And I sat with them in their living room yesterday and I just said to them, we, we have to make some decisions this week and they're going to be difficult decisions. But what I want you to understand is this, the church, your church is going to take care of those funeral expenses. And they just sat there and wept, just wept. And they said this, we have such a great church. And giving is biblical. And, and I would say this about our church. It, it's, 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 it's said so often, almost to the place where, to be honest with you, I'm very careful. I, I, I really am. I'm very careful on getting up there in, uh, in the pulpit and saying, hey, this is another need. Can somebody give? Because you know what I know? Our church is going to give. They're a giving church. We, we, we gave, we fed families for Thanksgiving and, and, and all summer long fed families and cared for families and gave for these COVID projects and our Christmas offering. I think after this past Sunday, we might be around $70,000 or so for the Christmas offering. We still a couple weeks to give. And every single penny that comes into that, we're giving, we're giving, we're giving, we're giving. And it's biblical. Is, is, is it giving alone, though, that produces joy? And that's what I want us to think about here. Because lost people give. Is it, is it giving alone that Paul, he's commending them for what they're doing, providing for his wants. And this whole thing is about Paul's joy and us as Christians being that light and, and rejoicing. Is it giving alone? Is giving biblical? Yes. But do you understand we can give and not have joy? It, 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 is it giving that produces joy? Once you think about this. Number two, I want you to, 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 again, follow along with me here. I, I don't want to lose you. But number two, Paul commends them for sending a special messenger when, when no one else did. Epaphroditus is that man. Look with me in chapter number two. In verse number 25, Paul says this. He says, yet I suppose it necessary to send to you, Epaphroditus, my brother, my companion in labor. He calls him a fellow soldier but your messenger. 
Epaphroditus comes from Philippi to Paul there at Rome with the offering, with the gift of uh, the, 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 the communication and the giving to Paul there to meet his needs. And that's why Paul says, I'm full, I'm blessed. My needs are met because of your giving, specifically because of them sending the special, special messenger when no one else did. They were the church that continues when Paul is in Thessalonica. You met my needs. You sent someone to meet the needs here. Look with me in verse number uh, 30 of the same uh, uh, chapter, chapter number two. He says this, because for the work of Christ, he was nigh nigh to death. Speaking of Epaphroditus, he got sick while he was there in Rome, almost died. He says, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. Now, Paul is not saying to them, you didn't do anything. Not, Not that you're lack of service, but they at Philippi couldn't meet Paul's needs because they were in Philippi. The entire church couldn't leave Philippi and go to Rome. It was impossible, but they sent Epaphroditus. He then came when they couldn't come and he met a need. I thought about that that situation. Again, just putting these things in context, Friday evening, uh, uh, every every one of our deacons showed up at at uh, um, the Miller's house. And several other families, the Jeffreys were there, and the Lors were there, and several other families that are very close to them just showed up at their house. Now, the entire church that was here Sunday morning didn't show up at their house, but the entire church was represented at their house Friday evening. Those that couldn't show up. You had messengers that showed up for you. You, you have those that are giving needs. My wife had uh, talked with a, a lady in our church that had lunch with her this week that had lost a, a, a son uh, to death, and, and she was over and visited with them. And I'm over at the Miller's house talking with them, and she's out to lunch talking to this lady, and the Miller said, so-and-so showed up. And, and that was such a blessing because she understood what we're going through. The reality is, you know, I, I've said probably a handful of things. I've been over there every day. You know what? I haven't said a whole lot. You know why? I don't understand. I don't understand. To lose a, to lose a dad, I understand. To lose a, 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 a daughter, a child, I don't. But there are some that do understand. And because they understand, they're able to minister to people's needs like other people can't minister. And God uses them. And and here's one called Epaphroditus. Not everyone could go, but Epaphroditus could go. And Paul is commending the entire Philippian church here because because someone came and and sent this special messenger and he did what no one else could do. You cared enough to send someone when I had a need. He commends him for that. And and I would ask you this. does, Does having someone that is willing to reach out, a church that's willing to send or or messengers like that, is that what produces joy? Paul thirdly says this. Paul commends them for their sympathy toward him in his trial. And I won't belabor this point, but again, go to chapter number four and verse number 10. He says this, but I received in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care 
of me hath flourished again. Again, in verse number 18, again, we find this man, Epaphroditus, that he sent, they sent him, and I now am full. I have all of my needs. You cared for me in my darkest trial. Now, wouldn't you say that these three things that I've mentioned so far, they're qualities of a great church? And in reality, this is the truth. I'm not just saying this because I pastor this church. I mean this. These are the qualities of this church. I do believe that. I believe that when somebody has a need, we want to rush to that person's needs. And that's a biblical thing. It's necessary. But in doing that, is that what produces joy? Number four, I want you to look at this with me, this thought. Again, say with me, please, don't lose me. Paul commends them for peace and harmony in the church. How many of you would agree peace and harmony is good in the church? <laughs> Unity. I don't want to go to a place where there's frustration and tension and fighting. That has happened in other churches. That happened. Paul would write people. Paul wrote several times. He would write to Timothy or to others and and say, oh, this person, this person uh, is causing division or this person hasn't accepted letters or this person is, is, you know, in it for himself and and mark that and and be careful of that person and and causing dissension within the church. And, And Paul would deal with that, but Paul's not dealing with that here. Paul is commending them for the peace, the harmony, the unity that's in the church. Look with me in chapter 2, verse number 1. He says, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of spirit, if any bowels of mercy, fulfill ye my joy. What? That ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. This is important. It's necessary for for the church to to be in unity, to have one mind. He goes on to say, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. A church of caring. No selfishness here. I'm not concerned about how I feel. I'm concerned about how you feel. I'm not concerned about my needs. I'm concerned about your needs. Many will tell you this in in marriage counseling. if, if, If you want to have a happy marriage, learn to serve. Well, if I serve, who's going to serve me? Well, if each of the spouses learned to serve each other, you'd be served. Your needs would be met. It's when we start to look at, well, what about me? How does this affect me? Am I being met? Am I being cared for? When we look inward, and Paul is saying to this church, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And that's what, that's what they're doing. They're, they're sending things by Epaphroditus to Paul. What? They're looking at Paul's needs and saying, what do we have to give? And that's what our our church has done. I mentioned it just one time in a Sunday morning in each service uh, this past week, and thousands of dollars have come in for the Millers. Why? Because that is a spirit of unity. That is us saying, I'm not looking at me. I'm looking at somebody has a need I want to give. A healthy church is a giving church. A healthy church is a church that's unified, and Paul's addressing that. Look with me in chapter 3, verse number 16. Follow along with me there. He says this. 
Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mine the same thing. What unity he's speaking of. The same rule, we're mining the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. Look with me, go back to chapter two, verse number 14. Paul says, do all things without murmuring and disputings. That what? That ye may be blameless. The verse we've looked at several times already tonight, that ye may be blameless. What's the purpose? Unity so that we can be the light. The church is unified meeting each other's needs for what reason? Because there's a lost world out there that needs light. There's a lost world out there that that needs to see Christians have joy. It isn't there's a lost world out there that sees that Christians have it so good. That's the prosperity gospel preaching that you've got to be careful of. There's nowhere in the Bible that says if you get saved, all of your problems go away. It's when you have problems, you now have a savior that's there in the midst of your problems. It isn't about, well, when the Christian, I want to be a Christian because Christians never have a problem and Christians never have uh, 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 issues and Christians, their cars never break down and their roofs never never leak and, 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 and their homes never fall apart and their kids never get sick and, and they never lose their job. No, Christians, all of those same things happen, but there's something that's different when I see a Christian behave during those trials and they have joy. How can we rejoice? Paul, how do you rejoice because you're in prison? Yes, he commends uh, the church for all of these things. Yes, it's because they're such a giving church. Yes, because there are people that travel to give. Yes, it's because of unity. And how is this possible? How can we have joy when there's difficulties and trials? And my question tonight, as we look at this this overview of this book, do, do we get joy? Do we find joy by doing these four things? Is that how we get joy? Is, is, that how, is that how we rejoice because in our trial these things happen? Or I'm going to ask you this question, and I want to bring it to this conclusion here. Do we, do we, is joy, does joy come from those things, or are those things a result of a Christian having joy? And I would say to you this, those things aren't what's supposed to produce joy in the life of a Christian. Those are things that Paul mentioned and commends them for as a result, as a fruit, because they have joy. So the question would be this, then where does their joy come from? If it doesn't come through giving, where does it come from? If it doesn't come through Epaphroditus sending messengers, where does it come from? And I would say to you this, it comes because their doctrine of who Christ is was correct. Our joy doesn't come in serving, in giving. Our joy comes from in who Christ is. 
And therefore, because that's correct and we have the proper view, the proper doctrine of Christ and who he is, the fruit of that or the product of that is a healthy church, is a giving church, is, is, a, is a church that, that is in unity. See, where, where do we see that? I want you to see in Philippians chapter number one, in verse number 11, being filled with the fruit of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. That's where it comes from, a proper understanding of who Christ is, uh, an understanding of, of what Christ did for us. Look with me in chapter number one, verse number 27. Follow along there with me, if you would please. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. You know, he says, the things that you talk about, bring it all back to the gospel. Now, that doesn't necessarily just mean I'm giving the gospel to lost people all the time, even though we're commanded to do that. But what is the gospel? The gospel is the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel is that, that Jesus Christ left heaven's home to come become a man. He was 100% God. He became 100% man. He lived a sinless life, and he went to the cross, and he took our sin on the cross. He bore my sin so that I could be redeemed back to God. And so my trial here on this earth, my difficulty, Paul being in prison, the Philippian church being in a world that is perverse and crooked, how can they have joy? Because they understand what Jesus Christ did and who he is. And that's where our joy comes from. Having an, a correct understanding, our doctrine being correct on who Christ is. Look with me in chapter number two, in verse number five. Not only does he say, let this, uh, only let your conversation be as you become of the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see, uh, let, me, let me go back to that and finish that thought. Whether, uh, whether I come unto you, verse 27 of chapter one, whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in, in, in one spirit with one mind serving together in the faith of the gospel. So Paul is saying, my joy doesn't come on whether I can get out of this jail and come see you. Paul, according to this book, he thinks that there's a possibility he's going to be freed from this uh, uh, Roman jail and see them. That's his hope. He mentions that a couple times here in, in the book of Philippians. I can't wait to come see you. I'm coming. But in this verse, he says, now, whether I come or whether I'm absent, my, my, my joy doesn't come, and I'm not only going to rejoice as a Christian if I get my way and I come see you, if I get out of this miserable place and I'm able to spend time with you as my church family. I can't wait for that to happen. But whether that happens or not, you know what this is about? It's about the gospel. Whether I get my way, whether life happens the way I want it to happen, where I, the reason I have joy is because my focus, my conversation is on Christ, the gospel. Look with me in chapter two now, in verse number five. Are you with me? You're getting quiet on me. Are you thinking and writing or are you just looking at the clock? We're almost done. Let this mind be in you which also is in Christ Jesus. Don't miss that verse. 
How, how could Paul say in the book of Acts, I think myself happy? When he's getting ready to potentially be killed because he knows who he's doing it for. He knows, he believes, he understands who Christ is. I saw someone sent me a video today, and um, this, this is not, I'm not making a, a political statement by saying this. I just was so impressed by this video. It was a video of our president standing on the, on the, on the uh, south of the uh, balcony of the White House, looking over the South Lawn, giving a speech. And in that speech, maybe you saw this, in that speech, he said this, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I, I, I rewound. I said, what? He didn't say the Bible says Jesus Christ is Son, or Christians believe Jesus Christ is Son of God. He made the statement, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I thought to myself, that's Bible. That's truth. Do we understand the majority of the world does not believe that? Any other, Christ, uh, uh, any other religion doesn't teach that? The Muslims don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Yes, he was a good man, and yes, he was a, a good teacher, but, but the Son of God, no. I, I sat next to a, a man uh, uh, in, in India, and he, we talked, and, and Jesus, oh, I know who he is. Oh, he's a good teacher. I believe that Jesus, I believe that Jesus is a God, but the Son of God, that, no. An atheist. He don't even believe there's a God, let alone he had a son. The, the major religions of this world, outside of Christianity, they would never agree with a statement like that. But the truth is, he is the son of God. He left heaven's home and came to this earth and became man and shed his blood on the cross so that we could be redeemed back to God. There was no other way. And Paul is saying to the church here, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. How do we have joy for us to behave and think like Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He's God. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Wherefore, God, all, uh, or that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, things in the heaven and things in the earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Where does our joy come from, Christian? It comes comes in knowing who Christ is. It comes in having a correct doctrine on the person of Christ. It comes with the gospel. It comes with a correct understanding in a, in a living is this out. How do we have joy in a wicked, perverse world? Because we have Christ. That's why we have joy. How does Paul have joy in prison? Because he has Christ. 
And it's not the things that we do to try to, to try to get joy. So many people, they try to find happiness and they try to find satisfaction. You know what they're going to find? In giving, none of that brings joy and satisfaction. There's a, there's a big thing being pushed. The five or six richest billionaires in the world, they're supposed to give, Rob, what is it, like 90% of their money? The giving pledge, it's called. How many of you have seen that? They're going to give 90 or, I mean, some, some it's, it's more than many countries' annual GPD. Is that what it is? GDP, G, GPA, what is it, Mike? It's more than some countries even make. And their lifetime, what they're supposed to do is give all this money away. Leave all of this to charity. I'd like to know what their kids think about that one, but give it all away. You know what they find? It doesn't bring happiness. Giving isn't, doesn't, doesn't bring happiness, doesn't bring joy, doesn't bring rejoicing. Giving is a result of someone that has joy in rejoicing that's only found in Jesus Christ. Because their relationship with Christ is what it's supposed to be. Their mind is, is the mind of Christ in every situation. They place Christ in it. How does a church have unity? Because we just all decide we're going to be in unity? Well, this group of people, let alone put everybody in that comes on a Sunday, there's not much we agree on. But you know what brings unity to a church? Christ. When we agree that he is the son of God, we believe in the deity of Christ. We believe that he has come and that he shed his blood and he is the only way to salvation. We believe that he was placed in the grave and three days later he rose from the dead. When we believe that and we believe the word of God, that's what brings unity to a church, not everyone agreeing on everything. The same exact Sunday, I can get someone to say to me, wow, our song service was Beautiful. Matter of fact, it happens. I'll get somebody to text me. The, the Lord really, I needed that. And then the same exact Sunday, I'll get an anonymous letter on a scale of one to 10. We were a one today. Oh, shame on you. <laughs> How does that happen? That kind of stuff, disunity. If that's what, I like this color, I like that color. I think the lights ought to be this or this ought. Those things only bring disunity to a church. The only thing that can bring unity to a church is a proper understanding of who Christ is, the doctrine of Christ. That's what brings unity, and that's what brings joy. That's how a bunch of Christians that our human beings can come together and be the light that the world needs 
because we're not coming together in because of our giving, we're known as something. Or because we send messengers around the world, we're known for something. Or because we, 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 we care for people in their times of trouble. All of those things are wonderful things, but those aren't the light that is necessary. It's in your trial. How do you have joy? Because <laughs> I know Jesus. Every one of those six families that suffered loss this week. Donna, I guess I haven't asked you about your niece if she was saved or not, but the majority of them, you believe so? Then six of those families that lost someone to death this week will experience eternity with Christ and with those that they lost. Darwin Kaiser was at their one o'clock service today. He'll turn 85 in two days. Now, I remember being at an age where 40 seemed old. How many of you would agree 40 is not old? 40, I mean, my wife just turned 40. I always, I, I, I kid around, I said, you're just a kid. <laughs> 50 doesn't seem old. 60 doesn't seem old. 70? Now, 85, I mean, 85, you're, you're getting up there. 85, he's 85. And I said this to Darwin today and to the class there at 1 o'clock today. I said this to him. Do you realize 85 is a long time to live on this earth? But the first 10,000 10, years in heaven, we're still going to be praising Jesus for who he is and what he did for us. 10,000 years. We've just begun. See, when we have a proper understanding of Christ and who he is, we can have joy in the midst of any trial we're experiencing because our mind isn't on the trial. Our mind is on Christ in who he is, in what he did for us, in what comes out of that is a spirit, the result of giving. Why did Epaphroditus, why would he leave Philippi and go all the way to Rome and almost die in Rome? and still want to serve Christ because he knew Christ. He had the right doctrine. Serving doesn't give you joy. Serving is a result of having joy. Joy only comes through the person of Jesus Christ. It all starts and it all flows out of a correct doctrine of Christ. What do we need, church, to survive in perilous times. What's going to keep the church strong? What's going to keep the church unified? What's going to keep the church going when persecution truly comes? What's going to keep us moving forward? What's going to keep us as the light? We're going to rally together. We'll muster up enough strength and we'll, we'll get this done. Christ and who he is in what he's done in applying the gospel to every situation in our life, that is what gives a Christian joy. Amen? Father, help us tonight. Help us to see the true, true meaning of joy is a true understanding of who Christ is.
that you would leave heaven for us, that you would suffer for us, that you would take our sin debt and become sin for us so that we could be redeemed and reconciled back to you, so that we could be called the sons of God, so that we could be born again. And so, Lord, our church is suffering. Our church is hurting. There's many that we love that are going through trials. And we'll give and we'll send and we'll be there in a time of need and we'll be unified. But Lord, Philippians teaches us none of that's sustainable. And all of that flows out of a right doctrine of who Christ is. And so, Lord, I pray that we keep him as the focus of our church. I pray that we keep Christ as the center. I pray, Lord, we, we seek to serve you, and we seek to love you, and we seek to adore you, and we seek to please you. Because the fruit of that or the result of that is we're light. And what will flow out of that is all the things that Paul commended the Philippian church for doing. And so, Lord, I pray that our church would be a church like the church at Philippi. I pray we'd meet needs. I pray that we'd suffer alongside those that are suffering. We'd sacrifice. We'd give. We'd support and we'd love. And all while we're doing it, the gospel is going forth. The light is being shown and is seen by a dark world. And I pray that through our love for each other, because of our love for you, others would trust you as their Savior as well. And so, Lord, refresh us and revive us and give us joy. And, Lord, help us to rejoice, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. Have a great evening.